What is GDPR? And more importantly, how does it impact you and your company? Join internationally known data privacy, data protection expert, Jonathan Armstrong, and Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, to learn more about the burgeoning world of data privacy and data protection. After listening to this episode, you'll walk away with a greater understanding of what this means for you and your organization. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox and Jonathan Armstrong back for another episode. Jonathan, we are still in the midst of our coronavirus health crisis. So with all guests, I'm asking, are you staying at home and safely checked in? I am. Thank you. Yes, I'm taking up my uh, one permitted constitutional walk a day, and that's uh, keeping the weight down slightly. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Jonathan, you had a really interesting client alert posted on the Quarterly website, which we will, of course, link to in our show notes. But it was entitled UK Court Judgment on Verbal Disclosures Under Data Protection Rules in a case entitled Scott versus LGBT Foundation. Uh, This seemed to me to really open up a lot or one very big can of worms on one hand. On the other hand, it was almost... um, not too surprising that this issue finally made its way to the courts. So perhaps you could start off by telling us what was this case about? Yes, I will. Yeah. And, and credit actually to my colleague, Andre Bywater, who, who ferreted uh, this case out. But what it concerns, as you said, is this uh, LGBT foundation. They're a charity and they'd disclose details about Mr. Scott to his doctor. In the UK, we call them a GP or, or general practitioner. And um, there were proceedings commenced by uh, Scott against uh, LGBT, and they uh, LGBT uh, uh, sought what's called a summary judgment. So they effectively tried to stop the case halfway by saying that uh, Mr. Scott didn't have a case. He'd sued them under the old uh, UK law, the Dead Protection Act 1998, and uh, for various other things as well, breach of his human rights. Um, but I think, Tom, we'll probably just concentrate just on the data protection point. And um, the salient background is that, as I say, LGBT were a, a charity. As uh, you'd expect from the name, they provided counseling services and advice in relation to um, a person's sexual orientation, and they particularly were set up to help the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender uh, communities. Now, Mr. Scott referred himself to the charity because he was suffering with some mental health issues, and he said that he felt that he may take his own life, and he uh, was worried that he could commit other uh, 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 acts of self-harm. The charity was unable to provide Mr. Scott with the uh, help he wanted because he was an ongoing drug user. And the charity seemed to have gone through uh, all sorts of internal safeguarding processes, and they uh, said to Mr. Scott that they couldn't offer him help, but he um, should uh, refer himself to his 
GP. And there seems to be some dispute as to how that conversation went. But in any event, LGBT were worried about Mr. Scott's well-being, particularly the fact that he was a suicide risk. And they communicated with his GP, uh, told the GP that they couldn't offer services because of his drugs use and um, suggested to the GP that he refer Mr. Scott to their drug and alcohol counselling services and they could sort of sort that out and then look at the other issues that he faced. And this inv- uh, this information was ultimately recorded by the GP on Mr. Scott's medical notes. And Mr. Scott sued because he said that effectively he um, his uh, opportunity to earn money was diminished because of that call that the charity made to the GP. And he sued uh, for damages that he assessed at 1.8 million sterling. And he said that that was because he was a nuclear safety consultant and that he had high-level security clearances and that if, as part of the vetting process, his medical records were inspected and people uh, saw the uh, personal issues he had, he might be denied security clearance and, as a result, he would be unable to work in the uh, nuclear energy industry, at least unable to work without an escort or whatever. Um, And uh, it it seemed, apparently, that Mr. Scott's security clearances expired in January. Um, But we are not exactly sure as to the loss of earnings figure. And as I've said, it it becomes irrelevant. He said... uh, uh, apparently that he had said in a vetting in interview in 2016 that he was fine, that he didn't have any uh, dark thoughts like this, and that as a result, he might be seen to be inconsistent by having said in 2016 that he didn't have issues when contrasted with his medical notes in 2018. He said that he'd intended to return to the nuclear uh, safety uh, line of work that he had before, but he said that he couldn't return now and that his career was effectively over because of the charity's disclosure to his GP. So much going on with this. Uh, So many uh, interests involved here. Obviously, data privacy, data protection. We have a security interest. We have a health and safety interest. We have probably a public uh, health and safety interest, uh, given the work done by Mr. Scott. And then we have, um, I'm not quite sure how to articulate this next interest, but the interest in having a full and fair disclosure to both uh, physicians and those who provide counseling services uh, without potential liability to them for receipt of that information. Uh, having worked uh, in the counseling field uh, some 
some with uh, the State Bar of Texas, I uh, have an appreciation of the information that the State Bar attempts to solicit around mm-hmm. uh, the mental health of its uh, members as well. How did the court begin to think through the first, I guess, the disclosure by Mr. Scott to the LGBT Foundation and then their disclosure to his general practitioner? Yeah, in, in some respects, this is uh, something that the court didn't exactly have to decide. And and I, like you, Tom, have been involved in some very, very challenging cases. Uh, we uh, uh, I, I acted previously for a university, for example, where they had a student uh, as a result of recreational drugs use in intensive care, where the clinicians had decided that if his parents were there um, and talked to him, then that might uh, bring him round. Uh, whereas some in the university has said we can't ring his parents because of data protection reasons, and 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 we constructed a way which seemed to be not risk free on behalf of the university, but did save the uh, student's life. So I've I've real sympathy for the charity in this case, and it seems uh, to be accepted uh, by. I think all of the people who, who've seen this, other perhaps than Mr. Scott, that they tried to do the right thing uh, to save his life. And, you know, we can have private thoughts as to whether he should be more grateful or not, but that, I, I suspect, is outside the scope of this podcast. What the court did decide is that under the old uh Data protection law, and it's broadly similar under the year, uh, under the new. The uh, law concerns itself with the processing of uh, automated records, and also with manual records where they're in uh, a relevant filing system. And so, there's been debate over the years. This uh, um, uh, requirement's been in, in, in UK law for a time over what a relevant filing system is. And in the end, effectively, the court decided the case on the basis that this wasn't a relevant filing system. It was an oral disclosure of the information, which um, does count as processing, but it wasn't personal data under terms of the legislation because it wasn't processed by means of equipment operating automatically. It wasn't recorded with the intention that it should be processed. And it, it wasn't recorded as part of a relevant filing system. And it isn't an accessible record. Now, it's important to say that that is the processing by the charity and not by the GP. But that was the issue here, whether the, whether processing had taken place by the charity. Presumably, Mr. Scott, I don't know whether he has uh, additional proceedings against his GP or whether the terms of his um, arrangement with his GP meant that the GP had uh, consent or some other justification for holding the record. That seems to be be quite likely because it would be necessary uh, to, to, to protect his health interests. So, according to the court here, they said that it did need to be uh, a data within the meaning of the old act and in the meaning of the uh, EU uh, directive on which the UK act was based, and that a verbal disclosure like this 
wasn't the processing of data under the Data Protection Act. Now, Mr. Scott said that effectively the material was stored in the mind of the staff member because the staff member's mind filed it, if you like, um, and that it was the intention to put it eventually into some sort of filing system, and therefore it was data. But the court said that that, that wasn't the case here. <clears throat> whether it was an in, whether there was an intention to eventually add it to a filing system or, or, or not was sort of irrelevant because uh, it hadn't uh, taken place, uh, or at least Mr. Scott couldn't prove that it had taken place. So the court, in some respects, dodged the question of whether it was in uh, Mr. Scott's uh, vital interest. That wasn't um, that wasn't necessary for them to reach their decision. They did look at that uh, in passing. And you'll remember that under GDPR and under the old legislation, you can uh, process data if it is necessary to protect the vital interests of the data subject. That necessity test is quite a high barrier. So you can't use necessity, I don't know, to COVID-19 check your entire workforce. It has to be necessary rather than convenient. But clearly, Mr. Scott, when he saw the charity, was in a bad shape. He was considered, you know, on his own admission and by the uh, experienced people who saw him to be a material risk of suicide or other substantial self-harm. And he uh, was at imminent risk, despite him saying to the court that he wasn't. And so... Uh, they, the, the court said that they were that, that the charity were justified in giving his GP a ring. Jonathan, in this podcast series, we have uh, talked about questions which may uh, have touched upon a philosophical nature. We have certainly touched upon cases which allowed both of us to indulge in our love of legal arcanery and uh, complete geekness. Uh, this, to my mind, is the first case that we've had that touches upon the, the world of science fiction. And the mind as a data storage unit and uh, processing uh, system, I think, is a fascinating uh, oh. discussion. I'm currently watching uh, season three of Westworld, where they have uh, put together the greatest uh, computing mind with uh, the complete uh, record of the human experience in it. So um, I've been thinking about that a little bit. Uh it, it, Scott's, Scott's argument there is not so off-beam. There is a case, um, I'm showing my age now, I want to say about 20 years ago, where um, it was decided that, uh, that the blink of the eye when looking at records can count as processing. Uh, and that, that was a fairly extreme case involving uh, corrupt police officers. So he's not completely off on a limb as to whether, uh, you know, the brain can be a processing unit on its own. But the history here, I think, counts against him. So originally, again, to sound incredibly old, the first legislation was brought in in 1984 in the UK, and that was purely to regulate computers. 
So it was purely to regulate effectively automated decisions. And the concern was, you know, the computers were going to make decisions about people's credit and, and that needed to be regulated. And only in the 98 Act did we gradually bring in a process of including manual records or hard copy records in the legislation. So there is a sort of almost a historical background that counted against him. The original intention of the legislation was focused on manual on on automated records and not those that the, that humans do in their uh, everyday lives. But this is not do androids dream of electric sheep. This is our humans uh, <laughs> more machine through their data processing powers of the human brain. Um, the, uh, the other question is certainly in the United States, uh, it is not uncommon that if a mental health worker, uh, or, uh, healthcare worker receives information that a person is a danger to themselves or others, uh, in some instances they are obligated via law to report that, uh, certainly if, if um, a report of uh, abuse of children or potential abuse of children. That is one area. Um, what happens if there's laws mandating disclosure of that information? Does that override GDPR or would the court enter into a balancing test? Yeah, as a general rule, uh, a law like that would override GDPR. And um, and there are, there are specific provisions in GDPR to say that that uh, certain sections uh, don't apply in certain circumstances, like to comply with other legal obligations. But commonly, they have this necessity test again. So we can't say that it's um, it's convenient. And in some cases, you have to look at, uh, at likelihood as well. So, you know, uh, criminal convictions, for example, would uh, uh, giving the individual the data me make it likely that the criminal conviction could be prejudiced. So in some cases, we do have to do a, a balancing test. And uh, in others, there is almost a statutory framework in GDPR to help you with that test, again, often predicated on necessity. Jonathan, this has just been a fascinating case. Uh, I may have to revisit Westworld now with a new eye. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, Jonathan, uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation. My pleasure, Tom. Thanks for the invite. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. We're going to link to the quarterly compliance client alert uh, that explores these topics in a little more in depth in our show notes, so check that out. Also, uh, check out uh, the quarterly website for a great number of resources around GDPR. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. During this corona health crisis, please be safe, stay safe, and stay sanitary. We look forward to visiting with you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.